Welcome to the Sand Hills Podcast. My name is Pastor John. I'm joined today for a very special episode. We'll be talking about the theology of vocational work. It is an exciting conversation, a needed conversation. We're with Dr. Brian Simmons this morning and Dr. Jeff Philpott. Hello. Welcome to the show. This is our first three-person episode. I totally dig it. I love wow. it. Wow. Yeah, Welcome. Good Welcome. to be with you. Thank Good. you. I wanted to ask you, just kind of as we jumped off, we've had a few episodes with Jeff. Yes. Obviously, no episodes with you. You are a special guest Brand today. New. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, so I grew up in uh, northern Indiana in a little uh, town called Elkhart. And uh, the claim to fame in Elkhart is it's the RV capital of the world. And so, uh, in fact, I was just watching a little podcast last night of uh, one of my friends whose father passed away. And his dad started a business called More Ride that actually made the axles for RVs. And so I grew up there, went to uh, school there. And this will tie into my story a little bit later, but about... um, uh, three or four weeks before fall, before my junior year of high school, our pastor in my church came and knocked on my door and told my mom and dad that I belonged in the Christian school. Wow. wow. That's great. And then God kind of worked a miracle there in that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I did end up going. And uh, part of my story is that, that interaction with my coach and teacher and others changed my life. Wow. And um, went from there to Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I met my wife, Bonnie. Short story there is, wandered into sociology class one day. She sat down next to me, fell in love with me, got married. Wow. There it is. (laughs) She'd have a little different version of that. And uh, then um, went on to, uh, back to my alma mater, the Christian school there, as the first ever math teacher. And at 29, became the head of school. Uh, 36 became the head of school of what grew to become the largest private school in Indiana. Heritage Christian School grew from 1,180 to 1,650 kids over 10 years there and built out about $17 million of buildings. So from that fundraising experience, I became the vice president of advancement at Indiana Wesleyan University. Mm -hmm. And part of my story is that while at Heritage, four of my, my four children all graduated from Heritage. And then with Indiana Wesleyan, part of the deal was they'd all go to school for free at Indiana Wesleyan. So three or four graduated from there. I'm, I'm a cradle-to-grave Christian school ed guy. Right. And, um, and that, from there, I became the president of the uh, Association of Christian Schools International in Colorado Springs. So my youngest daughter then could go to whatever college she wanted, Christian college. So she traded the snow of Indiana for the sand of West Palm Beach and went to Palm wow. Beach Atlantic. Nice. That's from, a good trade. It was. <laughs> and then from there, uh, I came here to Columbia to join the team at Columbia International University, where... Um, I, I came to lead the PhD in ed leadership about a year into that. Then President uh, Dr. Bill Jones asked me to join his team and um, and lead online studies, and I've done that ever since. Now with Dr. Mark Smith, and we've had a lot of growth and developed a lot of new programs. And privileged to be a part of uh, Dr. Smith's uh, senior leadership team. So that's Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an elder at Radius Church, uh, father of four, husband to Bo- uh, Bonnie. We, we celebrate 40 years in May. Wow! Nine grandkids with. Three more on the way. Wow. That's huge. That's awesome. Man, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, there I you go. feel like I should, like, there should be applause. Like, that is incredible. <laughs> but that story ties into what we want to talk about yeah. because I see my life in, in the various roles that I have as a steward, leader. Mm. And so the roles are husband, father, grandfather, CIU leader, radius leader, friend of Jeff Philpott and Sandhills Church, Amen. et cetera. Mm. And then those roles parallel with what I describe as my vocational realms. Mm. They're the same. They're synonymous, right? The stewardship roles of the vocational realms. And I know that's part of what we're going to unpack here today. Right. right. Man. 
That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Well, so actually, Brian and I have been good friends for Long time. Uh, a little while now. Yeah. And uh, he's really poured into my life. Actually, and one of the reasons he's here today is because um, even recently, and we've talked about this over the past um um, that we've been meeting together. Actually, he officially served as a mentor of mine previously. Uh, so it was, we wow. were in a, a neat relationship. But um, but we've talked about this several times. And the last time we had breakfast together, it came up again, um, just how, how we view work and how we think about it. And um, we've talked about it on a previous podcast where I talked about my car salesman background. That's right. Uh, just how people, I think, misunderstand uh, work, especially when it comes to a ministry context. And that is... Um, you know, that like uh, that I'm, you know, I'm a professional minister. So, oh, wow, you know, you're in ministry all the time, but I just, and then people insert whatever job they right. do. Like, I just do that. So like, like almost saying, I'm not really ministering. My job's right. not really that important. Um, As if it's less than. Yeah, it's less than. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. not, you know, and it's almost like apologetic. Like one day I'll stand before God and go, oh, you know, I wish I could have done more, but I just, you know, mm-hmm. I just worked a job, you know, eight to five. And then, and then I went to church though, and we did some outreach, you know, that kind of thing. And that is not at all correct. Uh, that's why I know what Brian's going to echo that as well, but, uh, we're all people who minister with the way that we live. Um, a phrase that they had at Columbia International University where I went was, um, and Bill Jones, I think coined this, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but we are either, um, professional ministers or ministering professionals was something he said, but Brian, you had a thought on that. Well, I, I think that that's a great way of looking at this topic that we're either ministering professionals or professional ministers. But as I've thought this through, I'd like to add a nuance to that. And that is, if we think about it as we're either professional ministers or ministering professionals, and I'm a math teacher going way back, right? And so if you think about it as a Venn diagram, where those are two circles or spheres that do not touch one another, they're mutually exclusive, Hmm. then I think that's the wrong way to look at this because what that does then is it sets up a false bifurcation. Hmm. So I would suggest that a better way to look at the ministering professionals, professional ministers is that professional ministers like Jeff, like you, exist as pastors within the context of ministering professionals. Mm-hmm. In other words, all Christians are to be ministering professionals. Right. Right. Absolutely. Some are chosen to be pastors. I'm a college professor. Some are cho- I was a Christian school teacher. Some are businessmen. Some are you know, doctors and lawyers and and tradesmen, you know, plumbers, et cetera, electricians. And all of those work vocations, if, if believers are in those roles, should have carry with them the mindset that every day when I'm going to work from eight to five or six, I'm a ministering professional. That's mm-hmm. right. I'm looking for opportunities to live out my faith by being a worker of integrity, right. by, by not budging my bill at the end of the repair job or right. by uh, not using profane language or by just like Jesus did, touching those that I come in contact with from an overflow of grace and truth. It's like if I would have loved to have been a disciple of Jesus where you're walking with Jesus and you bump into him and he overflows onto you grace and truth. Amen. Right. Because yeah. he's full to overflowing Absolutely. of grace and truth all the time. And so I think that that's a better way of looking at that paradigm, that the professional ministers exist as a subset within the context of ministering professionals. Yeah, and, you know, to go pick up on that, so I'm thinking back to the garden and creation and, you know, this idea of, the, like, the almost apologetic, like, oh, I wish I could work for the Lord full-time, but mm-hmm. I just, and then, you know, insert vocation. You know, God created us to work, and, you know, the first vocation was a gardener. And so, you know, we're to tend, we're to manage. Uh, there was this um, 
encouragement of dominion over the earth, this command actually of dominion over the earth, that, that God never was separating out, you know, like if you can't get to the really important work of spreading my news, then maybe you could do some things with your hands. I mean, it was never, it was never that. As if he's like, oh, geez, what am I supposed to do with this person? Yeah, now? exactly. Like, yeah, oh. I don't know. I don't know. Can you go, you know, hoe a field? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I think God has always had that in mind. So anybody who's a Christian who says, you know, I, I work as though unto the Lord, which is something we've talked about previously in here, that when I work, I think about uh, as though I'm working for Christ. Um, that is exactly what we're all supposed to do. And then actually, I love your uh, comments, Brian, where it's just this idea that, you know, that's what we're all supposed to be doing. Even if you have a title by your name that reflects something in the, uh, you know, more of the church realm, or if you're, you know, working some other job. Well, so I actually just further with that, that then an understanding of that proper theology of vocation really is what the Lord intends to bring meaning and purpose to our lives. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just a granddad. I'm a granddad purposefully praying for and helping my grandchildren to come to faith and live for Christ. Mm, right, mm. right. Um, I'm not just a husband. You know, I'm Bonnie's husband, mm. helping us together to, to shepherd our family. Right. And I think as we think of it that way, then it really does bring a sense of purpose to our lives. Because in the body of Christ, and that's a great analogy in Scripture about this, right? So we're not all eyeballs, we're not all ears, we're not all right. fingers or toes, you know, and, and but the whole body fits together to fulfill God's purposes. And I think that's a proper way of looking at the theology of vocation, that mm. God gifts and then places different people in different walks of life who are then going to rub shoulders with the different people in those different spheres of influence. And so I think as a steward, God gives me time, treasure, talent, but also relationships. And the relationships are the most precious mm-hmm. be- because of all the things we have with us today on this earth, I can only think of two that we'll have with us in eternity, mm. the truth of the word of God and the souls whose lives we touch. Mm. Right. And mm-hmm. so we should live purposefully to touch lives within our sphere of 50 feet within each of our vocational realms, which mirror our stewardship roles. Absolutely. And that's, I think, a, a, a big thing that uh, the Western church is working through right now is that idea of uh, f- for a long time, it seemed so much that we'd have, this is what I look like on Sunday morning. This is what I look like nine to five at work. This is what I look like to my next door neighbor when I'm home with the barbecue. And we had these different um, masks almost that we would wear, mm-hmm. but, but Christ didn't come to transform our Sunday. He came to transform our lives mm-hmm. and every aspect of our lives, where Amen. we work, who we talk to, who we influence, why we influence them. And, and just as you said, which is a beautiful point of the idea that he created a beautiful body to work together. And to each one he calls and distributes gifts as he pleases, but also distributes passions and professions. That's right. That they would exist to support and edify each other. We could not exist as a church without generous giving. Generous giving could not exist without income. Income cannot exist without jobs. Mm. It's all interrelated and it's understanding that our lives when they're transformed by Christ aren't just for one singular day or one singular moment, mm-hmm. but is to transform our entire lives that wherever we go, as one of the saints said, I can't remember which one it is, maybe you'll remember, uh, but we should be preaching the gospel always and speaking only when necessary. Mm. It's the idea that Saint everything Francis we do, St. Francis, thank you. Yep. Everything we do in every moment of our lives is preaching the gospel of Christ. And we can do that in our jobs and we can do that if our job is church, right. but we're all doing that together to the edification of each other. I think sometimes with that bifurcation that happens, if we don't have the proper 
framework for the theology of vocation, which, you know, the bifurcation we mm -hmm. spoke about, then what happens is that businessmen, for example, can think, well, so I'm going to work my 50, 60 hours a week to make money. I'm going to care for my family. And then the reason I do this is so that I can give to the church. Mm -hmm. Well, or support Christian ministries. Well, that's a piece of it. Surely, right. clearly, because we steward that all that God has given to our care, the, the treasure piece. But it's really deeper than that. It's that within my work, I'm touching lives. Mm. I'm living out Christ. I'm helping. And that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, like stop work and share devotions for an hour and, and in essence steal for our, our employer. Right, right. It, it means that we need to be exemplary workers. We need to work in such a way that people would look at us and say, you must be a follower of Christ because you're different. And I mean mm. that in a good way. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I actually heard of a business owner who was uh, talking about, as a Christian, one of the ways he tried to help his employees was he would offer um, annually these um, certificates to go to a marriage weekend uh, that mm. was hosted by a Christian group. And he would pay for the whole thing. He, if you wanted to go, you know, he would pay for the, uh, the conference that you would go to and the hotel room. And, you know, he, his thought was, you know, this is a way for me to do this without being overtly Christian. But I know if they go there, not only do they get to hear the gospel, but then they get to work on their marriage. And if they have a better marriage, they're going to be happier. They're going to be more content in life. They're going to be a better employee. So for him, directing people toward Christ and toward healthy marriages uh, gave him a direct benefit as an employer. And I thought, oh, that's actually a creative way to do that without overtly standing up and saying, hey, I brought my pastor here today. I want him to talk to everybody, you know? Right. I think another thing to understand with all of this as we think about theory of vocation is that the word vocation has as its Latin root, the word vocare. And that means calling. Mm -hmm. And so what we're really saying then is with the proper theology of vocation, that everybody has a calling. There's not a higher calling. You know, I don't believe that Jeff has a higher calling than, than as a pastor than I do as right. a professor. Sure. Um, I think that God wires us differently and he has a calling for each one of us. And then as we live out that calling, we fulfill his purposes. Um, but there has been, I think, through the ages, the mistaken notion in the church that the calling to the pastor is the higher calling. Right. Everybody else then is going to settle for second best if you're not going to be a pastor or a missionary. And, you know, and I just don't find that in scripture. You know, I've read the Bible through a number of times and I just don't see it there. Right. Um, and so I do think we have to come back to this whole idea of calling and giftedness. And I can give an illustration of that. So back when I was vice president of advancement at Indiana Wesleyan University, um, Barbara Green, Barbara Green served on our board. She married to David Green, who's the founder of Hobby Lobby. Oh, wow. Okay. And so the president and I booked a trip to Oklahoma, and we, we were going to go and meet them and talk to them, of course, about maybe supporting the university and things. And, and they did, by the way. That was a blessing. Amen. Um, but I knew that David Green had written a book called More Than a Hobby. Mm. So kind of out of a sense of duty, you know, I kind of picked up the book. I thought, maybe I should read this. might be a good way to get into conversation with him or whatever the case might be be and 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 I'll tell you when I got about 10 or 20 pages into it I just couldn't put it down mm -hmm. and in the book he he recounted this story with a conversation with his mother and his mother in essence said to David Green so David when are you going to stop piddling around with these five and dimes and be more like your brother you've got a brother who's a pastor your sister's married to a pastor you know why are you still piddling around with this five and dimes see Hobby Lobby hadn't happened yet mm -hmm. and his response was mom was really interesting and in the book he wrote, so mom, he said, you know, I can't lead singing. I can't speak very well in front of people, but I'm a really good businessman. Mm. Now, what other business would be able to run a case all the way to the Supreme Court to, to guard values of Christian believers in terms of 
contraception and things. Um, but Hobby Lobby. Right. What other business other than maybe Chick-fil-A could be an example right. to us of being closed on Sunday and making your money six days a week other than Sunday so that employees can go to church? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so what an example to us in the workplace. But he understood that, that his calling was to be a Christian businessman. And you could argue that he was more more successful than mm-hmm. lots of others that might have chosen. And clearly not as successful as he would have been if he had chosen a, a professor that wasn't in line with his giftedness. Right. 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 You know, it's something that reminds me of too is that you know, work is not a consequence of the fall. You know, that's the, that I would remind people that we don't we don't work because we 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 broke the world. You know, we that God created us to work. It's the hard work that's the consequence of the fall. It's the it's the thorns and thistles that we have to right. you know work through. But the idea that that all of us were created to work, which is also by the way counter to the idea that um, I want to work real hard early in my life, make a lot of money, then retire early so I can play the rest of my life. And like, you know, that's as a pastor, I was, no, no, you can't do that either because you're still supposed to work. I mean, I'm, I'm not against retirement. I, I'm okay for with retirement. <laughs> I hope to one day. But the idea that I'm just going to basically live for me for the rest of my like, no, like the idea is that now I have more time. And so with that more time, I hope to volunteer more, uh, maybe do more mission work, uh, be more involved with my community, you know, and, and then I do have a little more free time for my family and visiting grandbabies and, you know, hopefully driving some sort of cool classic sports car. But other than that, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, I've seen the opposite of that too, Jeff. So um, there was a whole uh, enterprise built out of Bob Buford's book. He's now in heaven, but out of his concept of halftime. That's right. And not only a book that sold, I don't know, millions of copies maybe, but a whole training enterprise around that and the, kind of the premise of the book was, well, so you come to halftime in your life where you've lived a life maybe just to make money or provide for your family, and all of a sudden now you're going to make the switch from that to significance. And it resonated with so many people because you hear so many sad stories even in the church about how, well, you know, I'm, I'm 60. So now I'm 60 years old. I, I've lived the first 60 years just to make a lot of money. I've accomplished that now. I've got the big house, got the toys, got the gata gata. And I have all these regrets now because I stole time from my family, time mm-hmm. from my children, time from my church. So I'm going to make a change now. And at 60, I'm going to stop all of that because I already made my money. Right. And I'm going to live a life of significance now. And when I, and when I read that, at first I think, well, good. It's good that those people at that point are going to live a life of significance. Right. But then the correlator to that is how sad mm-hmm. that people for those decades hadn't lived a life of purpose and fulfillment up to that point. Mm. And I think it goes back to a proper understanding of a theology of work. Mm. Had they been intentional in those spheres of influence within their work context while they were making money to fulfill the purpose of the master for the business he had entrusted their care to touch the souls and the lives of the people that they had an opportunity to purposefully touch. Right. And that could have been, it could have, we'd have to write a book about halftime significance to significance, yeah. you know, or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. You know, too, I, I was even thinking of this and John, I may be interrupt. You may have all sorts of questions you had planned. Oh, on this is fantastic. <laughs> We're here for a conversation. This is a fantastic conversation. But I, I was just thinking, you know, so it's one thing when you're talking guys who make a lot of money business, what if, what if you're on the other side of that, though? What if you're, uh, maybe you're what we would consider unskilled labor, or, you know, you're, you're working, you know, nine to five, eight to five, whatever, but you're punch clock, punch in, punch out. You're not making a lot of money. Uh, you're struggling to get by. You know, I can see how somebody might wrestle with, I just don't feel significant. You know, I feel like I'm an hourly employee. Um, I'm not over anybody. I just, I just do my job. You know, how can I honor God in this realm? I mean, what would you say, Brian? Well, Saul, so that's such a great question. And what I would say about that is, you know, in the, 
we have a PhD in organizational leadership at CA, as well as an MOL, a master's in organizational leadership. And as I've developed those online degree programs, it's my great privilege at CIU. Just love that work. Um, the leading, the, the foundational course in the PhD in org leadership is LDR 9610, Steward Leadership. And so we unpack the whole concept of steward leadership. And I'd recommend a book uh, called The Steward Leader by Scott Rodin. It's, a, it's one of the textbooks we use. And here's how, how I would answer that question from a stewardship perspective. So here's a key point. How much or how little God chooses to entrust to our care is his prerogative. Mm. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Mm. So how much or how little he, he chooses to entrust to our care is his prerogative alone. Mm. So as a steward, I don't live in the realm of rights where I'm thinking, well, that's not right. That's not fair because that's a losing game, right? Mm. Like, if we're comparing ourselves with somebody else, we've always can find somebody who's got more, lives better. And, and by the way, I'd say that virtually everybody in the United States is wealthy compared to people in most of the rest of the world. Sure. So throw that in there. Okay, but if we realize that how much or how little we have, that the master of what he owns, which he owns it all, is entrusted to our care, then say, well, then what is, what is our role? And our role is we live in the realm of responsibility. We're responsible to use that, which he's entrusted to our care, to fulfill his purposes. And so, there again, whether it's $15 an hour or $15,000 a day, mm -hmm. you know, it's the same focus. And so what I would suggest is, and I try to do this, I don't do this perfectly, but I try to get down on, on my knees, you know, real, really or figuratively, every morning and, and pray this prayer. So, Lord, today I want to give to you my day, my life. I want to fulfill your purposes. I want to go your way. I want to do what you would have me do. And the days that really jazz me are the ones where I'll get home and I'll say to Bonnie, like, here's an I spy God moment. Look what God did for me today in bringing this person across my path or this opportunity or this conversation. Mm. And everybody can have that experience, right. regardless of what our work is. Right. That's Absolutely. Good. And I think, Jeff, with that idea, that when someone is uh, concerned about I'm only making this much money compared to this person mm -hmm. or, you know, I've got this title, but this person has this one. Um, a good friend of mine, Xander Griffin said, um, and this is a common saying, but he's reminded of, reminded me of it is that comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. and, and if you are well, just like playing that's the comparison good. game, you're never going to have any joy because you're too busy focusing on other people mm -hmm. and on what they're doing instead of focusing on living on mission. And then that takes us to the idea that, we're reminded that scripture tells us, do all things as under the Lord. Right. And then we see Paul say, run the race with endurance. And the way you run a race with endurance is you keep the finish line in sight. And you mm -hmm. go, there it is, I'm pursuing that. And when you combine all those things together and you live a life on mission, it doesn't matter how much money you're making because you're walking in the gospel. And yeah. you're walking, living on mission. So that ties in, actually, it's just a weird parallel here. Since the money thing, and I know we attach significance to money so often, you know, there's this, um, the Apostle Paul gives a, um, a formula for wealth to Timothy. And he does this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. And um, when, he's, when he's talking about the, the secret of wealth, so to speak, he mentions that it's um, godliness with contentment. And he says godliness with contentment is a means of great gain. But it's in the context of financial wealth. So what he really was telling Timothy is when you figure out how to be content with what God has given you, you'll be the richest man alive. 
And I just, I love this idea that, well, and he combines it with godliness too. So I don't want to miss that. You've got to walk with the Lord. But this idea of walking with the Lord and looking at everything I've got and like, you know, God has blessed me with this regardless of, of size or dollar amount or what other people value, God is taking care of me and I just feel rich and blessed. And so, you know, if you were to take the same attitude towards your work that, you know, listen, whether I, I'm a CEO or whether, you know, I have some other job that others consider more lowly, it doesn't matter. I am content. God has blessed me. I want to do this to the glory of God. Uh, you know, and this is where you find joy. Absolutely. And, and joy as believers, we, we know where our joy comes from. It doesn't come from what the world hands to us by way of a job or by way of a paycheck or by way of circumstances, but we find our joy in the Lord. And it's, and then we find in that the peace, which surpasses understanding. And we find in that the energy to no matter what our circumstances, again, live on mission because we all have one job and that's to tell the world about the Christ that changed our lives and Amen. died for us. And that's our job. We just have other things that we do alongside that he calls us to, as you talked about. I like to take that concept just a little further. And so my son, Jared, works for a, a financial planning company called Ron Blue. And Ron Blue has coined the phrase, do you're, do you're giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Um, <laughs> but, but beyond that, what Ron Blue and, uh, and Rex Crossan, Ross Crossan, who worked for him as the president, wrote in a book called A Life Well Spent, they advocate for... Christians being different from the world in this regard, that with those who don't know Christ, who are secular, who leave God out of their, their plans and their affairs, then if they have an increase in pay, what are they going to do? They're going to buy more toys. They're going to have an in, in, increasing in, in, increase in their standard of living. And then more pay, better standard of living. More pay, better standard of living. Bigger house, bigger boat, you know, nicer car, et cetera. And what Ron Blue and, and Russ Cross advocate is, my son teaches is, so Christians should be different than that. God doesn't raise our income to increase our standard of living. He raises our income to increase our standard of giving. Amen. And so there should be some point, and my wife Bonnie and I wrestle with this, as to how much is too much. Right. And where are we going to plateau out mm. and then give the rest? Right. right. And, and I have a dear friend who um, had a grandfather who was very wealthy, Messianic Jew, and he left his inheritance to his grandchildren with the purpose of making them wealthy. Mm. And so my friend inherited farmland in what is now Carmel, Indiana, the mm. most expensive zip code in Indiana. Mm. Wow. He set up a company that sold plots of land on which the Peyton Manning Hospital is built. Oh, wow. Plots of land that were selling for 10, 20, 30, $40 million. Wow. And his purpose was to liquidate all of that and give it to further the kingdom. Mm, wow. So he gives to Christian Incredible. ministries. He, he's on the board of the Jesus film. He, he produces Jesus films to share Christ with people around the world. Mm -hmm. And I was in his uh, um, house one time in Marco Island, a condominium, and, and, look, and it's a very beautiful place still. Um, I, I'd like to live on that center to live maybe Absolutely. just for a few weeks. <laughs> you know? But that's up to them, right? That's between them and God. They could right. live on a lot more than that. Right. And But my point is that um, we were walking around, and his wife was pointing out some of these beautiful paintings of them, all the Persian rugs and everything. And, and she said, you know, Brian, she said, um, we, have a, we, we have a goal, and that is when we're gone, we'll write one last check, and that one will be to the undertaker, and that one will bounce. <laughs> that's good. Because they've given it all away. Right, right. I love it. Absolutely. And see, that's how we turn the currency of this world into kingdom cash. Mm. We invest it in that which is eternal, the mm. souls of men, to see people come to Christ in this case. That's good. Pretty good strategy. That's a good strategy. Absolutely. There's a, um, 
you know, as we're talking about this, and I mentioned this last time we spoke, that um, there's actually a website uh, called Theology of Work, theologyofwork.org, and you can go there. And it's run by a man who was a CEO in a company, and then he um, gave his life to Christ. And after giving his life to Christ, God opened his eyes to... Uh, a different way to approach work. His name is Andy Mills. And Andy has an article on the website, 10 Key Points About Work in the Bible Every Christian Should Know. And so if anybody's watching this, listening to this, um, you know, along with the other references we've made of other books that you should totally check out. And the Hobby Lobby one, by the way, sounded fantastic. What was the name of that one again? More Than a Hobby. More Than a Hobby, yeah. So that, that sounds by great. David Green. Okay. Um, and then on this, the 10 uh, key points about work uh, in the Bible every Christian should know. He, he goes through a number of things there, but the, the thing I find just as I read through the list is it's just super affirming to somebody who's sitting there wrestling with, I just don't feel significant in my role. And this is all about recapturing a, a biblical view of work so that you understand the significance. It's not creating significance. You need to understand the significance that God has made intrinsic to whatever role you have, whatever work you have. So uh, really recommend that article. I'll give you a couple more as well, or uh, giving the resources. Uh, I have a friend who leads an organization called Truth at Work, mm. and they do two-minute devotionals along the lines of what we're talking about here. Very good. Uh, led by a dear friend of mine. And then a couple of key books that have really influenced my thinking on this topic that I just love and I would recommend. Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. Excellent. And Truth at Work, uh, excuse me, God at Work by Gene Edward Veith. Mm. Those would be the other two I would recommend. Yeah. What was the name of that second one? Uh, God at Work by Gene Edward Veith. These will all be in the link, by the way, to everyone watching. Oh, these, will, I, these will be in our link. Wow, look how we've come so far. <laughs> Boom, right there, digital age. Get it on Audible. You don't even have to read it. You can just listen to it. That's great. And you can get the people who wrote it to listen. You know, they they, they read it to you. It was amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you guys so much for this conversation. So enjoyed it. It went by so quickly. I this hope is incredible. our listeners feel that way as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate you. Thank you for being on the show. We appreciate you. Well, thank you, John. And appreciate the fun thing is you're going to have to watch YouTube to see who I was talking to. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. And it's been a wonderful conversation. We hope you've benefited from it. If you'd like to like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend, that'd be mean a lot to us. You're how we exist and you're what we exist for, to share the gospel of Christ uh, through engaging conversations. We hope you have an amazing day. Thanks.